Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello everyone and welcome to La Liga Lowdown. I'm Matt Clark and I'm here with Sam Leverage. We are two of the new co-hosts of the podcast. It's all change in La Liga and as you can probably guess, it's a little bit of change here at La Liga Lowdown. It's been a busy summer with the Euros and the Olympics only just finishing, but we're back and ready for more and I hope you'll join us. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks Matt. It's been a non-stop summer. I feel almost as exhausted as Pedri, but... I think his legs might be feeling a bit more than mine. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Yeah, very good. Uh, it's been an incredible summer of football, really, hasn't it? And off the pitch as much as on it, because La Liga has seen a mass exodus of star names. We have have the bombshell that was Leo Messi this week. We've also had Sergio Ramos, no less, Rafael Varane, and, of course, some young talent too, with Brian Gil and possibly also Jules Koundé. So what's your general take on the state of the league at the moment? Don't forget, Matt, Zinedine Zidane as well. I mean, it feels like that was years ago, but Zinedine Zidane leaving Real Madrid was only earlier this summer. I mean, thinking of Real Madrid losing their coach being the big headline in the in the summer transfer window, but now it seems like back page news. So, yeah, it's been a crazy summer in La Liga. I don't think anyone would have foreseen quite so many high-profile players, coaches, figures leaving their clubs. I think it shows kind of the financial situation that La Liga is in. Obviously, their financial regulations are a bit tighter than the Premier League, than Ligue And so I think we're kind of seeing the, the consequences of that, that teams have to kind of cut their budgets. If there's an offer that's too good to turn down, they can't afford to say no. And really, La Liga can't afford to be spending €100 million Euros on anybody like the Premier League can or, or like PSG can. So this is kind of where La Liga is almost coming back down to earth after the last 10 years or so of kind of being the big league in Europe, kind of dominating and and seeing teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid spend huge money on players now, come back down to earth with a bump and La Liga's lost some of their talisman in the process so it's a big opportunity this season I mean who's going to step up and 
and become the king of La Liga. There's no Cristiano Ronaldo, there's no Lionel Messi, there's no Sergio Ramos. Who is going to be that guy who is the face of La Liga? You're absolutely right. And uh, we'll get into some more detail on all of that coming up in this podcast. But just as you mentioned the financial situation, can we just briefly touch on the uh, the CVC deal which has been struck this week? You did a fantastic thread on Twitter. So guys, check that out if you haven't already, explaining it all through and uh, and what it might mean. Uh, so just briefly kind of give us an idea of, of your take on that. Yeah, so CVC are effectively so an investment company looking to try and make money. Um, they went to the Bundesliga and said, yeah, looking for the same deal that they're now trying to strike with La Liga. And both of them laughed them out of the building, effectively. La Liga didn't. La Liga are much more keen on, on doing a deal. And so Javier Debat has neg- negotiated, got this agreement with them. And they seem to be on the same page. The issue is that La Liga have then communicated that, thinking that it would be fantastic, that everyone would love it. Um, and it hasn't quite worked out that way. Effectively, what it is, is I think it's 24 billion is the total amount that CVC would pay to have 10% of the rights for La Liga. So what that means for clubs, basically, is that they get a big cash injection now. I mean, we're talking about 250 million for, for Barcelona and Real Madrid. And then it's using the same formula as for TV right so it goes down for the the smaller clubs but basically what it means is that they get 10 percent of the tv rights that those clubs would earn so in exchange for the quick cash payment now to to solve the financial troubles they're having right now due to covid and, and everything they'll get kind of a 10 percent reduction in their tv rights in the future and that's where some teams aren't very happy with it i mean we spoke about we saw about Juan Juan laporta when he was talking about Lionel messi leave and he gave that press conference and he said that he couldn't tie Barcelona into a deal that would reduce their TV rights for the next 50 years. He talked about it being like a mortgage on the club. And that's where the opponents are very much against it, is that it's tying clubs into a long-term deal, 40, 50 years, just to have a quick fix now. And so, I mean, we've seen that the Juan Laporta has come out publicly against it. Real Madrid have issued a statement publicly against it as well, going as far as to say that La Liga took illegal action to negotiate on behalf of Real Madrid regarding their TV rights. Um, athletic club uh, reportedly not too convinced by the offer either but there are plenty of teams in favour of it as well so there's a, a vote uh, on the 12th of August I think it's set for that the majority of La Liga teams have to either approve or, or reject it at the moment it looks as though the majority of teams would approve it but there are some big players who are against it the initial vote with the La Liga's executive included Atletico, Villarreal and representative of a few clubs they all approved it but Real Madrid, Barcelona, Athletic against it, that might see a few begin to turn the tide. And we know just how influential Florentino Perez can be when he wants to be. So it could be an interesting and intense week of, of political negotiating going on behind the scenes before a ball is even kicked. Well, that sounds like a right real mess, doesn't it? And uh, not too dissimilar from the Super League, which, of course, is all interlinked in the kind of background movements of these super clubs. Okay then, well let's let's get into the actual football then, shall we? Because um, it kicks off very soon. We kick off with Valencia against Getafe, but we're going to focus now on the top three from last season uh, and dig into that. It's time to turn our attention to the defending champions, Atletico Madrid. To find out how they are set for the new season, we go stateside to catch up with Jeremy Barron. Comemos todo! Eso es carajo! Es junto como una familia! Que sigamos así como... La historia de Atleti, carajo. Vamos. 
So we heard the passion in Felipe's voice there, and I'm joined by Jeremy Bellin of Into the Calderon, who celebrated almost as wildly, I'm sure. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about the end of last season and what it was like to regain that La Liga title after eight years. The end of last season was like simultaneously enthralling and just also nerve-wracking. The last three games alone might have taken about three or four years off my life, but it was totally worth it to see Atletico win them all and be crowned champions in, in the face of, of so much pressure and seemingly almost everything going wrong in the second half of last season with several injuries, with COVID and Kieran Trippier's suspension and so on. But for the team to rally together and come back in those final two games in particular against Osasuna and Valladolid, it was amazing. First title in seven years and in the end fully deserved. I think Atletico were the best team in La Liga throughout the year. Um, they were the most balanced team. They had the fewest uh, kind of dips in form. They were the most consistent throughout the year. And in the end, that great start they got off to with 50 points from the first 19 games. In the end, that was too much for Madrid and Barcelona to overcome Sevilla too. But what do you think, Jeremy? Do you think that Atletico can win back-to-back titles? I mean, obviously in 2013-14, it was seen as a bit of a fluke and then never quite followed up with it. It took a few years, like you said. Do you think this season there is a chance that Atletico could defend their title successfully? Absolutely, I do. Um, And it's been a very strange role reversal how this summer has played out due to a variety of factors with Madrid kind of losing talent, uh, trying to trim uh, trim salary off the wage bill, Barcelona, of course, losing Lionel Messi. Meanwhile, Atletico, fingers crossed, have kept their core players together uh, in stark contrast to what happened in the summer of 2014 when just about half the team left. The core players have stayed, and indeed it's been augmented with Rodrigo De Paul's arrival in midfield. I think that is a huge addition. I think it could really evolve it and change how Atletico play and get the ball from the middle third into the attacking third and offer more support for the forward line. I think Atletico really do have a chance to repeat for the first time since the 1950s, and in part because of how carefully the club has managed their finances during the pandemic and just the work of Simeone and his players. Just Simeone continues to move from strength to strength as a coach as he enters his 10th season in charge of the club. I think that they really do have a, have a great shot to repeat, but we'll see. Partido a partido. Exactly, partido a partido, the Cholo philosophy. The one challenge that Atleti do have this season is one of the things that they really stepped up last season with the arrival of Luis Suarez, a big change in attack. But towards the end of the season, we began to see Luis Suarez look a bit more tired. He was playing 90 minutes almost every week towards the end of the campaign. We saw his legs begin to to tire a little bit earlier on in games, especially towards the end. And there was never really an alternative, was there? I mean, Moussa Dembele came in, didn't play very often. Before that, was Diego Costa, who left without a club uh, in the Christmas time. So... What is Atletico's plan there this summer? Do we expect an alternative number nine to come into the club? I think they are, uh, but it's it's a little complicated. There have been a bunch of names mentioned. Uh, the name that I think they keep circling back to and the one that they're ultimately going to acquire is Rafa Mir uh, of Wolves. Um, so he played on loan at Cuesca last season, scored 13 goals and was really very good. He, he profiles pretty nicely as a backup nine. Uh, player who is really good in the air, gets off a lot of shots in the box, 
I think he could really benefit from the new attacking evolution within Simeone's team. And he's going to be available for less than 20 million euros. That is, at board level, that is extremely appealing to Atletico. So I think ultimately, as we sit here on, on August 6th, I think Rafa Mir after the Olympics is ultimately going to be the guy. They do want to sign a number nine. I think in the end they're going to because they really can't have a repeat of last year in the sense that Suarez played 90 minutes pretty much the entire second half of the season. Simeone managed his minutes so well right up until the COVID outbreak hit. And then after that, there was, even just before then, there was an over-reliance on Suarez's goals. Granted, he was up to it because he's a world-class striker, but this coming season, the load needs to be shared a little bit. A healthy Jao Felix will help. Rodrigo DePaul's arrival will help. But getting another capable number nine in there, uh, especially on a bargain. If, if it is Rafa Mir, I think it's not a very flashy signing, but it could be a very effective one, even if it's only a stopgap. So I, I think Atletico are going to get a number, another number nine before the the summer ends because they need one. Will Atletico defend their title? What's your prediction for this season? Oh, putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say yes, they will repeat. Uh, I, I think, again, just the fact that unlike 2014, Atletico have kept their core together. Uh, some of the best players in La Liga now are here. Oblak is the best goalkeeper uh, on the planet. Llorente became an absolute star last season. Luis Suarez is, until further notice, a 15 to 20 goal scorer, probably 20 goals. Uh, again, if he's healthy, he's given us no reason to think otherwise. Um, and you combine that with Simeone's expert coaching and man management. And beyond that, just how the summer has gone, the upheaval that we've seen at Real Madrid and now at Barcelona, the institutional chaos at the latter and the penny pinching taking place at the former, it's all setting up very nicely for Atletico. It really is a, a kind of shocking turn of events. Atletico are used to the shoe being on the other foot. Atletico are used to kind of selling off every other summer and regenerating, rebuilding anew. Now it's a bit different. Atletico looks like they're going to be the, the heavy favorites in some circles. Whether that's fair or not, I'm not one to say, but I think they have at least a great shot to repeat. I think they have a very, very good chance to do it. Yeah, I think this is going to be the first time in a very long time that Atletico Madrid is into the league campaign as the title favorites and not the underdogs. So thanks very much for your time, Jeremy. Let's see how Atletico get on this season and hopefully we'll, we'll connect in May and talk about another league title for the Colchoneros. Colchonero confidence, and you can certainly see why. Favorites for La Liga in many people's estimations. Thanks, Sam and Jeremy. What about the other half of Madrid? Their summer upheaval seems a long time ago now, but was momentous all the same, as they lost their own iconic figurehead in Sergio Ramos. Let's hear more about Real Madrid and their prospects with our co-host Rory Barlow speaking to Hassan Karim. Buenas tardes a todos. Eh, ha llegado el momento, uno de los más difíciles de mi vida. Uno nunca está, nunca está preparado para decir adiós eh, al Real Madrid, pero ha llegado el momento de I'm here with Hassan Karim, the man who thinks about Real Madrid almost as much as Florentino Perez thinks about the European Super League. Not quite, but it's, <laughs> it's been a summer of, of upheaval at Real Madrid with more exits than arrivals for a change. And normally that's not the way. Mm. 
in particular, Rafa Varane and Sergio Ramos are gone. The face of pain. four Champions Leagues. And Hazan's... Lots of pain. <laughs> and the cause of much of Hassan's pain, uh, by the looks of it. How are Real Madrid set to cope? They have David Alaba signed. They have Eder Militao. What do you think? How do you think this is going to affect Real Madrid in the coming season? Uh, quite a lot, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've seen over the last couple of seasons that Zidane kind of really changed the the sort of standing with how the team works and really sort of emphasised the defensive side of things, especially when they won the league a couple of years ago. Um, so to suddenly just rip that up, essentially, from the centre of it and not quite put the pieces back together in an, an adequate way. I mean, Alaba's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he's not a natural centre-back. And Edin Militao is still developing. You know, he showed a lot of promise last season, but whether he's there to that same level as a Ran or a Ramos is yet to be seen. Um, so, yeah, it's quite worrying for me, considering that that's been the strongest point of the team for the last two years. Um with everything else considered. Certainly, yeah. I think, for me, Zidane's title title race last year and certainly the title win the previous season was built upon a defence. And so to, to rip that out will certainly be a tall task. Zidane himself is also gone, which was not without acrimony either. Carletto is back, Carlo Ancelotti. Mm. He's obviously been there before and... I'm interested to know what you think the differences will be between Carlo Ancelotti's Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane's because for me these are two men that are kind of cut from the same cloth. They obviously worked together on their on the Champions League that came uh, for Real Madrid earlier. How how do you see this playing out? Is it, are we going to see a vastly different Real Madrid? Um, I think in terms of the actual you know, on the pitch sort of style, it will be slightly different, yeah. I mean, if you remember back to uh, Ancelotti's two seasons there, well, he played a sort of system of, you score two, we'll score five, essentially. It wasn't built on any form of defensive stability. It was a case of, you know, it was BBC or bust in a way. Um, it's different now, obviously, we don't have that fearsome attacking line. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see how Carlo tackles that. You know, there's not a huge amount of goals in that team at all. Um, so, that you know, there is some similarities between him and Zidane, you know, in the way that they both are very good man-managers. They know how to get the best out of individuals. Uh, that's that's for damn sure. But I just think Carlo is a bit more of a safe appointment from the board, sort of a kind of... A way to appease the fans in a way, because Carlo is a love figure. He always has been. It does look like we're increasingly careering towards Hazard and Bale being the Galactico signings in inverted commas again. Where do we stand with them and how much of a contribution do we think that they can make to this season? Yeah, that's the big million dollar question on both parts and it's been the question for the three seasons with Hazard. He's been a new signing every summer for the last three years. Um, I mean, Marco reporting that you know he's come back and he's in the best shape he's ever been in, uh, which is actually a first, which is interesting. Um, considering last season they were like he's returned in bad shape the first year he returned I don't know how much kilos overweight um, so for them to be reporting positive stuff like that is good I mean he looked pretty good towards the back end of the Euros before obviously he suffered that injury um, so if he can stay fit and he can keep himself you know, in good shape I think he really can make quite a large difference but it's still if isn't it um, as for Gareth Bale he's an interesting one we saw at Spurs towards, especially towards the back end of the season 
it did quite well for them, you know, popped in with a few goals, you know, looked motivated, looked happy, you know, and he's come back to Madrid where uh, there's a new manager in charge, so he's possibly in better terms with than he was with Zidane. I think Zidane probably dislikes Matarazzi just a little bit more than he does Bale, maybe. It's probably close. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I think Bale could be an interesting one. If he's an impact sub, that works. I mean, he's still got quality. And I think, you know, on paper at least, he's probably still the best right winger we've got at the club, which says a lot. Really does say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I think in terms of Real Madrid, it's easy to talk yourself into a title challenge if you look at the players they've got. But there are a lot of things up in the air and a lot of things that have to land on their feet. But I'm going to throw it back to you, Sam and Matt, and thank you very much for your time, Haz. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Rory and Haz. It's going to be fascinating to see how they adjust with those familiar faces returning, but without those keystone figures. We're halfway through this podcast previewing the La Liga season. Still to come, we'll get the lowdown from Barcelona and discuss the rest of the top half as well as the European race. We'll be back after this short break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown and our first season preview podcast. 
Now to Barcelona, picking up with Rory, who delves into the Blaugrana with Roman de Arquer. Frankly, there's only one place to start, the moment of the summer. It's very difficult for me, after so many years, to make all my life here. You joined me here with Roman de Arquer from the Ciudad Condal, Barcelona. We've just witnessed Leo Messi's last press conference as a Barcelona player. A somber atmosphere, if anything. And before we get to Barcelona's coming season, what was it like to witness that, Roman? And was there anything that stood out from that press conference for you? Well, I have to say, as a fan, of course, it was heartbreaking to see him cry that way at the beginning. He could barely come out with some words to, to say anything because, you know, he's he's a Barca fan, as as we all are, Kules, uh, and he feels the club the same way. So it was definitely really tough for him, you know, it, and it was heartbreaking, as I said. I mean, even I shed a few tears. I have to say, it was it was it was rough, you know. It's it's a He's an, he's an icon for Barcelona, not just one of the best players there's been. He's been, he's been much more than that. He's been in the club uh, since the beginning, you know, going through uh, the youth system and everything. And so it's it's, it's really hard to, to watch him um, speak. But after that, I was impressed to see how he kind of managed to recompose, to, to start talking in a very firm manner and explaining uh, his point of view of everything, answering the questions. Um, and his speech, especially at the beginning, I thought was very thoughtful and it was, it was great. So overall, uh, impressed by Messi. He's always been an elegant player, an elegant person. Uh, he never said, had a bad word for anyone, even though I'm sure he could have said a lot of bad things uh, to a lot of bad people. But he wanted to end in the best way possible. And he said it himself, you know, that he would have liked to finish in front of the Camp Nou, full stadium, people cheering his name. And unfortunately, that's not going to happen because of the pandemic and the current situation. And that's definitely one of the harshest things about all of this. You know, Messi living in, the, in this poor manner without being able to, to say bye-bye to the fans and having a game with a full Camp Nou, that's just, I think, very disappointing. Certainly, it's with a, a somber and a, a heavy heart that uh, we're doing this recording, I think. And Barcelona, if we move on to the current season, they've relied on Leo Messi for so long and they've relied on him so much. Is this team capable of building a more balanced side without him? It's been long since a sort of trope of Barcelona seasons that they're too dependent on Messi. Is there a way that Barcelona can construct a team without him? I mean, if you look at the squad, it is a pretty strong squad even without uh, Leo Messi, uh, but it isn't going to be easy. I think this is going to take some time, you know? Um, Whenever Messi wasn't on the field for Barcelona, usually they felt it. You know, when there was a game or two where he was maybe injured or, or had some sort of problem, he couldn't play. Um, in some cases, there were some saying, "Oh yeah, with Messi they play better." But I, I completely disagree with this theory. And usually, I actually consider that uh, Barcelona were much worse because we all know that Messi is fundamental. He's the best player there is, and of course, the team played for him, which obviously uh, affects the way. Uh, Barca were doing on the field but now there's a new opportunity to grow to depend on the younger talented players coming up uh, we've seen in the preseason like kids like Gabi like Nico uh, Demir Balde you know they have a lot of quality and I think they could be very useful in the future to building a strong competitive squad but in the most immediate future I think it's going to be complicated I don't think it'll be a horrible season with Barcelona struggling to get into Europa League I consider they'll be still be top three top four relatively comfortably 
but of course it's going to be a big blow. Players have to have to adapt, and uh, Kuman has a lot of work to do because I'm sure uh, he was planning on counting on him because I think everyone was counting on Messi being in the squad in this season. And right until the end, things are changing, and we have to wait to see if there will be some extra signings because, of course, given Messi is not. Uh, on the squad there will be some space I imagine uh, in terms of salary to, to add a new a few players if, if they consider appropriate but we should really work on that young talented uh, those young talented players we have in the squad uh, Pedri also Frankie the Young you know they still uh, can provide a lot and I'm hopeful for the future but of course this is a big blow in the current moment and it's going to be hard to, to overcome Certainly the, the emotional blow I think is something that probably be underplayed and uh, we talked about earlier just before this call about the way that this has been done and how, how shocking this has been. It's happened in the space of three days. For Barcelona again looking ahead to this season, it does appear like we might be in a second season of rebuilding because last season was definitely that for Ronald Koeman. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask what exactly does success look like? Because before this I was going to ask before the Messi news whether Ronald Koeman had it in him to take Barcelona to a title but without Messi what can we expect from Barcelona and yeah what does success look like for this this team now without him? Well I have to say that last season I think we exceeded expectations honestly after that 8-2 against Bayern after all that had happened with Messi the Burofax etc uh, some players leaving it just really felt like it was going to be a disaster and in the end we were fighting for the league right until the end almost uh, we won the Copa del Rey and in the Champions League it's true we underperformed but I think we did well partially thanks to Leo Messi and as you said now he's not there so the question is what is success uh, I'm feeling like I'm not gonna have my high, my hopes up like last season I'm gonna be expecting the bare minimum you know I don't really um, require Barca to win the league, to win the Copa, to win the Champions, although I think the squad is still strong enough to fight for some things, at least the Copa del Rey were a good team in that competition, we always one of the favourites, uh, even without Leo Messi, it's a, it's a competition we've historically uh, done well in, so I think that there we still have a chance uh, at, at winning, and in La Liga, it's going to be tough, but again, it's true that Real Madrid have also lost important players, uh, two main defenders, which are Ramos and Baran, and that definitely has to affect them somehow, uh, even though Alaba has come in, and we'll have to see whether they're going to sign Mbappé with all this possibility of Messi moving on to PSG. But I do think Madrid are weakened without uh, those players and without Zinedine Zidane, who's always managed to get really good results out of that um, club. And then Atletico, obviously, for me, are the favourites because uh, they've basically maintained their squad. And they've even improved it, we could say, with with uh, um, the signings they've brought in this summer. So, I mean, uh, it's going to be tough for Barcelona. I think they have the slightest chance in La Liga, but I'm not going to uh, expect them to win it. And I'm not even going to talk about the Champions League because, uh, for me, it's it's out of the question. If we win it, I'm going to be <laughs> just uh, outstanding. I, I won't believe it, basically, uh, especially without Leo Messi. So, I mean, yeah, the Copa del Rey and maybe, maybe fight for La Liga, but I'm not going to expect too much of this team this season. Certainly I think many Barcelona fans who have uh, grown up watching the team over the last 10 to 15 years will have to readjust their expectations over <laughs> the next year Indeed. or two. And yeah, I thank you very much for your time Roman and it remains to be a fascinating season uh, to come and we will definitely be in touch with you to see exactly how Ronald Koeman manages another rocky chip. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a very uh, weird season for all of us and hopefully 
it'll go better than we are expecting now because hopes are really down low at this moment. A lot of pessimism at Cam now ahead of the new season. Thanks Rory and Roman for that. Okay then, so how about the best of the rest? We've got Sevilla, who finished fourth last season. We had the Real Sociedad in fifth, Real Betis in sixth. They're back in the Europa League. And in seventh was Villarreal. But of course, the fact they won the Europa League means that they will be in the Champions League this season. So, uh, so Sam, how do you feel about the European sides this season? Who, who's going to have the best chance of pushing in La Liga? Who could take advantage of Real Madrid and Barcelona in particular being so all at sea? Yeah, I mean, this season is the first time in a long time that we're expecting one of Real Madrid or Barcelona to maybe not make the top three, so it's an opportunity. Last season, it looked like Sevilla could break in there already, but this summer we've already seen them making some moves. Maybe Jules Condé is on the move, and and they're not strengthening the squad too much. So are they going to be as strong as they were last season? They've already lost Brian Hill as well. Um, Villarreal, obviously impressed in Europe, a bit inconsistent in La Liga. Um, Real Sociedad, uh, another great team with loads of young attacking players, but again, a bit inconsistent. And they've got the added disadvantage this season of having several key players who are going to come back to the, the domestic competition late after the Olympics with, with Michele Orozabal and Mikel Merino, Martin Dubimendi as well. So it's going to be a real mix-up. I mean, Real Betis are in there as well, but they've got European commitments and they haven't been that active in the, the transfer market. We haven't seen the strengthen as much as we might have expected. So lots of teams that might be hoping they can break into that top four, but none of them looking in the best shape to do it. Yeah, I think with Sevilla in particular, it all hinges on the Kunde transfer and if they can get that money, because then that will be able they'll be able to then reinvest that into the playing squad. Yeah, but for me, it's it's too late anyway. I mean, here we are, uh, less than a week before the season kicks off and we don't know if Kunde's staying or going. I mean, even if that money does come in, it's too late for Lopetegui to get another central defender in to integrate him into the squad. Diego Carlos as well was into the Olympics final where he won gold, so... He's not going to be ready for the start of the season. I mean, this is a team that's going to have to start the season without either of their two first-choice central defenders, potentially. And any new arrivals aren't going to have been there very long to settle in. So it'll be interesting the first few weeks to see if Sevilla kind of stabilise and, and can cold the ship. Or if even by September, October time, maybe we're already ruling them out of the challenge for the top three. Yeah, it could be some some interesting first few weeks as the dust settles on what's been a, a very chaotic summer for many clubs. Okay then, so how about the rest of the top half? Which teams that didn't quite make Europe last season do you see as potential candidates to qualify this season? I think one team to really keep an eye out for this season, especially after kind of how they picked up last season and, and got on and, and changed their form particularly, is Celta Vigo. I mean, we saw Eduardo Cudet come in and, and he had a huge difference, a huge impact on the team. I mean, they were fighting relegation and near the end of the season, they were closer to fighting for Europe. So I think they'll be one to look at this season. They haven't been too active in the transfer market. They haven't really lost anyone. They haven't really brought anyone in. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that form going this season and really kind of pick up. I think they'll be the main candidates to break into the the top kind of European sides, I think the other sides around there, I mean, we've got Athletic Bilbao, Athletic Club, sorry. Um, we've got Granada as well, who lost Diego Martinez and Robert Moreno is a very promising coach, but 
I'm very pessimistic about their chances for this season. So I think it's a very wide open field in that kind of mid-table European spots this season. Could we see a team like Osasuna or somebody like that come out of nowhere to, to claim the Conference League or even a Europa League spot? So uh, we've mentioned Celta and the impact that Chacho Kudet had coming in mid-season. Another manager who came mid-season and will be looking to improve on the fortunes of last time is Marcelino Athletic Club. Now, a historic, historic side, always very uh, prominent in people's kind of affections for Spanish football. Um, what do you think they should be aiming for this season? I think they should be aiming for European spots, but I don't think they're going to get there. I mean, Athletic had a real bounce under under Marcelino when he first came in, and there was a, a real massive turnaround from Gaisa Galliano and when he was in charge. But then they started to fade off towards the end of the season. I think the squad is very thin, um, and they haven't signed anybody yet this summer. So I think Marcelino could have a real struggle. I mean, he's a very good coach, an excellent tactician, an excellent motivator. But I just don't see where the goals come from. Mm, could be some testing times at San Mamés. But of course, one thing that we are all looking forward to is fans returning to stadiums. And how big a factor is that going to be? You're going to be one of them at the Wanda Metropolitano. So from personal experience uh, as well as in general, how big is that for Spanish football? It's huge. Uh, fans aren't particularly happy that there are still even any restrictions. At the moment, it looks like there's going to be 40% attendance at least until early September. And that's going to be pretty much exclusively for season ticket holders at almost every club. Um, so I think it will benefit some teams a lot more than others. I mean, going back to Osasuna, the new El Salvador, that's going to give them a huge boost having their fans back. It was a real fortress before COVID. And then we saw some of their home results start to drop off with no fans around. But I do think that it's going to make a big difference, um, particularly the likes of Atletico Madrid, Athletic Club, where they really do have a strong connection to their fans and, and fans are dying to get back. I mean, season ticket sales this season, this summer, are really high. I mean, you consider the fact that many people are paying for tickets, not knowing if they'll be able to get to go to every game. But still people want them. I mean, just with some friends, we've all clubbed in and got Hatafe season tickets. I mean, we're not Hatafe fans. We're not massive super fans of Michel or, or Alain Neon, but... We want to go and watch as much football as we can. Absolutely right. And we all share that sentiment, I'm sure. Well, thank you very much, listeners. And thank you to Sam for joining me here today. We will have another preview podcast coming your way, focusing on the promoted sides, the relegation battle, and that kind of lower middle of the league. So listen out for that one. So thanks for today for joining us. Uh, Sorry. We've come to the end of this half of our season preview. We hope you've enjoyed it. Join us again for part two of our look ahead to La Liga 21-22. Thanks once again to Sam, to Rory, to Jeremy, to Haas, to Roman, and of course, for everything he has given to Spanish football. Gracias, Leo. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.